Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Ken Seals, who makes his weekly appearance on the podcast. With that, we'll get right to Ken for today's show. Ken Seals joins me. We're doing this Sunday night. He joins us every week. Ken, another week of camp in the books. It is now closer to the start of the season than it is the beginning of fall camp. That's got to feel good. I know you guys are excited to play football, and I'm sure you're counting down the days to the opener. Yeah, I, I actually am counting every day. I have it on a board in my room, so it's, a, it's definitely getting here fast. And I'd say this, too. Fall camp really went by fast. It, uh, it felt, you know, the days felt really long, but, you know, now that we're kind of approaching the end of it, uh, it definitely flew by. Well, we last checked in with you a week ago, so give us an update. What happened on camp in the last week? Maybe it's all a blur and hard to remember last week from the week before, but what you can remember, what was different about the last week of practice that you've been through? Yeah, I think the biggest thing uh, for us as a team has been to build a, a competitive edge in practice, just going against ourselves. And I think uh, last week we really saw a shift to that attitude and mindset. I think the offense was really competitive against the defense. And, you know, that's part of, you know, what Coach Lee tells us after practice, you know, just to bring more juice, a little bit of edge to us, you know, don't feel so friendly or, you know, that these guys are your buddies or something like compete like it's a game. And so, I think a lot of guys took that to heart, and the practice has been really good. And a lot of times, you know, we he always tells us he's like, you know, get right up to the line, but never cross it. And a lot of times, we're approaching that line, and we're getting close to it. I feel like, and that's been good to see. You know, we're not fighting or anything. It's just been like good competition against each other, and I think all of us are getting a lot better for it. So it's been really good, and it's been really fun to practice in general. Now classes start this week, right? Is it Tuesday or Wednesday? Wednesday. 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 Yeah, okay. Last, last day of uh, fall camp is on Tuesday. All right. What does a Ken Seals schedule look like from from Monday through Sunday? If, you, <laughs> if you've got it memorized yet, you may you may be just trying to absorb what happened today. Yeah. I'm sorry to throw that at you, but I think people <laughs> no. would be interested to know what a typical week for you looks like. Yeah, and I'm actually interested to see too. From what I've heard, I think we're going to be practicing in the afternoons at like two or three o'clock. Um, so I think my mornings will be like relatively open uh and obviously when i say open that means like more time for class but uh i switched majors you know as you know i said before i was computer science major going into uh hod with a computer science minor so i'll be taking a couple computer science classes this fall in the morning um a couple of business classes and i think in like a, a, my second or third econ class um and i'm, I'm still looking at <laughs> maybe make my schedule a little lighter for the fall just so I'm not doing so much coursework. But um, I think uh, yeah, I'll probably have to wake up, what, like 8, 8 o'clock-ish, you know, to get started on my work study, start uh, studying before classes. Um, I'll have my classes hopefully over by like 1 or 2. Um, whatever time I have to do homework in that afternoon, I will. Uh, I know we got to get ready for practice, so we'll go over there, get ready for practice around 2 or 3. Uh, have practice for two hours, get out, uh, shower, eat, uh, go to the meeting rooms, watch practice film, and then whatever time I have left after that in the afternoon, I guess up until midnight to you know get my eight hours of sleep would be the time to get homework done. So it'll it'll be tight, but um, that's what you got to embrace is the grind, and uh, I love the grind, so it'll be good. Well, how does this grind compare to the one last year when you're quarantined and all the crazy stuff that went mm. with it? That could not have been fun. Yeah, I, I mean, <sighs> I hate even thinking about last year just because, like, the you know, I didn't have my roommate Bradley uh, with me. He he stayed the ho- the Holiday Inn because neither one of us had gotten COVID, so I was there by myself the entire time. And so we went straight from practice at, you know, 6 in the morning, Um once we got done, came back to the hotel or my dorm room. He was at the hotel. Had all online classes, all virtual homework. You know, just it was it was really strange. And the the amount of work, having to learn all of it too. I was in like you know a third level computer science class. My uh, 
second calc class, um, intro to um, chemistry. It was like whole like I, I was taking some big time classes for trying to start as a freshman in the SEC. So I think this year is definitely going to be lighter on me, uh, course course load wise. But um, I really plan on spending a lot, a lot more time in the film room and uh, learning a lot more mentally about the game than what I did last year. So that's that's what I'm really looking forward to. Ken, I think I had 30 or 40 questions that came for you this week. I'm not going to ask you all those, uh, but I did pick a bunch, um, and, and some people got left out. And I may, I may not even get to all the ones I have planned, depending on how long this takes. But are you ready for the mailbag? Yeah, let's go for it. And I love the questions, so bring them on. Yeah, these have been fun, and, and there's some more good <laughs> ones coming tonight. And with that, the mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, call Taylor Russell at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. NBA Door says, what would a successful year look like for you personally and for the team? Yeah, I think um, that's, that's a distinction that I don't know if I can quite – have an opposition from each other i think for me a successful season personally is a successful season for the team i think everything that we talk about you know being team one and all the values that we have the coach we've uh, instilled in us has been the collective unit of all of our success is the individual success so so with that being said i think you know, obviously, you know, we got to win football games this year. And I'm really confident and excited that that's what we're going to go out and do. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of games where people don't have us picked to win. And I think many of those games we're going to have, obviously, every game we're going to have a game plan to win and a strategy to win the game. But I think a lot of those games where we're not picked and there's a lot of people that do doubt us, those will be the games that, we come out on top, and I think that will be what defines us as at least moving in the right direction, not successful. I, I, would, I wouldn't put it as successful, but as far as like making sure that what we're doing, the work that we've done, all the hard work that we're putting in, like that is what's going to say, all right, this is working, this is paying off. Now we can keep on with this process and keep growing it into something to where eventually every game we're expected to win. Ann Arbor says, from freshman year to now, what area of your game do you feel you've improved the most? Wow. Um, I think mentally. Uh, I'll be completely honest. There were some times I would, you know, as in high school, I, I, I'll say this. In high school, you know, it's hard to look at a defense and be like, oh, yeah, they're in cover four. That's cover two, you know, because sometimes in kids on the defense you know you know 16 years 17 years old they don't really know what the heck they're doing either so whether they're inside outside leverage on the slot receiver you know the fine details of the game you know they aren't really too concerned about so discerning different coverages in high school was never something that i tried to do it was more of like all right it looks like they're playing zone or it looks like they're playing man i'm gonna take this concept to the field and i'm gonna read whoever's in the flat it could be the corners playing the flat it could be outside linebackers playing the flat who's ever in the flat i'm gonna read him and we're running smash and i'm gonna throw whichever one he doesn't cover and so obviously you know going up to high school i tried you know my best to learn all the different coverages and you know trying to line up against a&m week one you know trying to catch up on all of that you know in one year was kind of a lot and so, and I, I won't say that I was completely clueless as to what the defense was and, you know, probably a lot you know, more intelligent than what I maybe get credit for. But I think there was sometimes I walked up to the line and I kind of went back to high school habits and I just looked at the defense and I was like, all right, I know where I'm supposed to read. I don't know who it is. I don't know what they're about to do right now, but I know kind of the general idea of what I'm going to do. And that's kind of what I did. And it ended up putting me in some bad situations early on in the season. Um, I figured it out towards the end. And, but now I feel like I've really focused my attention onto pre-snap awareness and literally just seeing the defense, like taking time to like look like, you know, the term we use is shell to edge. So backside corner, backside safety, field safety, field overhang. 
know, that's the shell that we're checking and uh, look at the coverage and just see where they are lined up uh, relative to our players. You know, do they have inside or outside leverage? Are they in a man or zone profile? You know, is it one high or two high? You know, different things like that. And so it's, um, oh, <laughs> this is my roommate, Ethan. <laughs> Ethan, say what's up. <laughs> he he just walked in. You're on the podcast, Ethan. <laughs> that's awesome. But um, I think that's been uh, my biggest attention. Uh, and I think going through camp with that sort of emphasis has uh, has really helped me improve my game. And um, especially, you know, taking that towards the season and in actual games, I'm excited to start doing that. MH Store One says, "How do you handle drop passes during a game? Do drops have an effect when you're going through your progressions? Does it make you maybe hesitant to go back to a certain wide receiver?" Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think you know probably one that every quarterback you know wonders. But I I think you know every quarterback would tell you. I mean, it doesn't really affect me. I think a guy has a drop. I don't think you know like oh he's having a bad day or you know whatever. I think you know. It, it, the communication for me to him is like, hey, the next play is yours. Like, don't don't get discouraged by that. Just focus on the next one you're about to make. So, and I, I know, like, whenever I'm out in the field, like, I'll be looking for guys who have been making plays. Like, if I feel like, you know, shoot, Chris Pierce has been absolutely mossing people, like, that's the guy I want to go to, you know, then I'm going to look to him. If I'm, you know, feeling like someone else is making plays, then, you know, if I have an opportunity to throw it to them, that's that's the guy I want to go to. And there's other things, too. You know, you have matchups that, you know, on the defense, obviously, if I feel like, you know, number one over here, corner, you know, is, you know, sucks and he can't cover anyone, then <laughs> obviously that sucks. But <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's, you know, obviously a better matchup for my guy. Then that's where I'll go. But I don't think uh, it makes me hesitant to throw to them at all. No. Chester Copperpot says, last year was tough on everyone, particularly the locker room and the staff. What's one tangible thing you can point to that was changed immediately with the new staff from the old one? Yeah, um, I, it's hard to pick one uh, because I feel like there was a lot that needed to be fixed and was immediately addressed as soon as the new staff got here. I think the... The scar tissue that comes from having a season as um, disappointing as last year was uh, is hard. And I think getting through that mentally, sometimes you might not even be aware of the roadblocks that happen in your mind as a competitor. You know, the, the thought of, wow, this is like happening again. You know, if you lose a rep in practice, like you have to push those thoughts away and uh, keep working. I think the attitude of refocusing to the next rep, winning the response is the way we like to call it. Win the response of every rep. Like, even though you lost, like, a play or you lost that rep, win the response. That's something you can always control is your attitude and your reaction after a loss. So even though there might be times a guy gets beaten coverage or I throw a bad ball or the receiver drops a pass, uh, if, you know, they might really be upset or frustrated. I know I get frustrated, but it's the reaction afterwards that you can control. And I think that overall attitude towards the team has kind of been what we're taking and applying it not just to the games, but to everything that we're doing, whether it be getting a bad grade on the test. Or, and I, and I, I won't take it that far. And, you know, I'm winning the response for my test grade. But it's a, it's, it's situations like that where, we're like just in a more positive mindset in general, a more cohesive unit and team, not just a bunch of individuals. And, you know, I can tell you this, there's not going to be any helmets thrown on the sidelines, any tantrums on the field. We are going to be very disciplined when it comes to our field and playing the game and not, you know, being super emotional or making it all about us and selfish. And I think that was, something that got out of hand a little bit last year uh, on certain times, and especially, you know, with the ability for guys to be able to opt out and, you know, just leave the team if things weren't going their way. And no disrespect to any of those guys, but, you know, it was frustrating for the guys that still were on the team. And uh, I think that attitude has kind of shifted to a more uh, team team mindset, and it's not about you. It's about you know, our team and about the success of everyone else.
This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast is made possible by my friend Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. And just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville. But he sees regular folks like you and I as well. And what people like about the experience is the ambiance. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. I went in and looked at it myself. That's exactly what it is. It is a relaxing, friendly environment. So whether your dental needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody. Call him at 615-270-2322. His office is located at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown Nashville, not far from the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player, a huge booster of Commodore Athletics. His support as the title sponsor for Season 7 is the reason we are able to do this podcast. Go see Dr. Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast and tell him you heard about it here. I just heard you guys speak so much of culture and things that have changed. And, and maybe you're the wrong guy to ask this because you've only been there a year. But, for example, like there are times that you know, okay, there are habits I need to change. Like you might wake up and get on the scale and go, oh, man, I'm, I'm 10 pounds too heavy. That would be an easy one to change. But mm-hmm. as you go through your career and develop habits and get used to a particular coaching staff's culture and things, there may be things that players on the team – don't even know or habits that that need to be broken that may be a a tough and vague question that i'm asking you there and and maybe some things apply to you and some things apply to teammates but were there things that as the staff went through you guys as a team and talked about breaking old habits that maybe guys weren't even aware that they were doing were bad that like when a new staff comes in uh you need Mm -hmm. that kind of light to to figure it out yeah, absolutely. And I used to call it a vague question, but I think of several things that coach is pointing out directly. Like he, you know, he comes from Notre Dame. Notre Dame's a great football program. They know how to win over there. And so he talks about the habits that we had whenever he first got here with not winning habits. The first thing that he talked about was whenever he first met us as a team, you know, we are all at socially distanced tables, you know, and we were spread out all over the indoor, you know, at like a dinner or something. So it was the first time as head coach he ever addressed us as a team. And he gets up there in front of everyone and he starts talking with the microphone and, you know, introducing himself, you know, being, you know, very cordial, you know, as Coach Lee is. And um, we just kind of like sit in our seats and just kind of turn our heads. Some guys not even like looking at him. And I think about five minutes after, you know, he started, he kind of stops. He's like, everyone sit up straight, turn your seat so that your seat is facing me and give me your attention. So everyone straightens their seats, starts looking at them. And, you know, there's been several times we've been in meetings where he's recalled on that experience, you know, thinking, explaining to us how that's not how things were back then. And he didn't realize that, but now he's communicating that message that this is how it's going to be now. Another instance I think about is whenever we go helmets only practice is the speed of which that we practice with only helmets back with the old coaching staff was more of like walk through pace. You know, it wasn't like, you know, we were in full pads, like about to hit each other. We just kind of like assumed like, okay, we're in helmets. Like we're just going to take this easy. But now coach Lee's like practicing in helmets is an opportunity to let your bodies recover, but it's not an opportunity for you to go slow or to you to act like this is a walkthrough. Like this is a full speed practice up until the contact. And just because we're in helmets, that doesn't change anything. The first time we had a helmets only practice, he'd stop practice halfway through and was like, this is not a walkthrough. And he's like, I've done a bad job communicating you the standard about this, but I can see now how it was done in the past just by watching y'all's body language and the speed at which you play the game. But now I need y'all to understand this is not how we're going to do it. And I think we're not to the level that he wants us to be or the expectation but I think we're getting close. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of other things, you know, showing up late. You know, we were having guys show up late every other day. And I'm not even exaggerating. Every, every other day whenever Coach Lee first got there. And there were guys that who were habitual late arrivers that, you know, decided to stop now that Coach Lee's got here and communicated the new standard that we're going to run our program with. 
And so I, I, I mean, those are just to name a few of the things that's changed. But I mean, immediately he came in and said, you know, I see how it's been done here. And you have to understand this is the same space. These are the same meeting rooms, the same practice field that you played on last year. But just know that the expectations and standards of which you're going to practice and play in these areas is much higher than what you were last year expected to meet. So um, absolutely, I think, you know, there is a big difference in what we might not have seen as the expectation this year. And we realize now that we're a lot more behind than maybe we would have thought last year. It seems to me, too, that practices are a lot more physical and intense. And one thing, and, and I'm asking you as an offensive player, but the defense had a lot of trouble tackling last year. And I see you guys a lot more physical and aggressive in practice. And it seems to me like I don't see as many missed assignments and tackles and things in practice now. I don't know, maybe this is a very simplistic way of saying it, but it seems to me that's something he's done that's had an immediate payoff. Yeah, I think, you know, that's a credit to Coach Minners, the defensive coordinator. He's a, I've talked about him before, very smart guy and, you know, gives us some really good defensive looks that uh, sometimes has my wheel spinning in my head. So he's a, I think he's a really good coach for those guys. And I think, too, the message to the defense, you know, that Coach Lee communicates to the team as a whole, but specifically for the defense, is whenever people watch us play, they almost need to, like, wince at the fact that we're playing with such aggression and we're having such you know a violent intent with the way that we finish our plays that it shouldn't be comfortable to watch and I think you know especially as a defensive guy you know coach uh, coach Lee you know that's kind of how he's always expected his players to play the game and so that's been communicated to all the dudes that play defense for us now and uh, I think they've done a really good job with that obviously being an offensive guy I can see the contact that they're making and uh, feel their presence on the field. And uh, a lot of them are stepping up and making some big-time plays. Macho man Vandy Savage asks, last year the Vanderbilt passing offense averaged 10.3 yards per completion, one of the lower averages in the FBS. What overall changes in Coach David Rye's passing offense do you think brings this average up and creates more explosive passing plays? Yeah, uh, without getting too much into the details of our <laughs> schematics as an offense, I think, you know, Coach Rye comes from uh, NFL backgrounds where, you know, the field is stretched more vertically than it is uh, in college. And I think he's bringing a lot of those same ideals and systems uh, to the game that we're playing now in college. Um, it's you know, the more play action, you know, under center pass that uh, than I've done in years past, especially from last year. You know, I think with uh, Coach Fitch last year, a big thing that we like to do was, you know, get completions, you know, make sure we're getting positive yards on first down. We're getting closer to, you know, moving the chains and converting on third because that was our philosophy. If you want to have a great third down conversion rate, you have to have a great first down, you know, and so – our biggest emphasis was always like, okay, find the first completion. And after that, then you start, you know, taking advantage of the field vertically. And that's how you score touchdowns. And I think, you know, finding completions and, you know, the message that Coach Fitch, you know, taught to me was, you know, really what helped my completion percentage go up, especially as a freshman, was just don't force the ball. Just take what they give you. Find the gaps in the defense and throw it through the gaps, you know, like, very simple stuff, but that's kind of how we ran our offense. And so it'll be interesting to see um, how Coach Rye uses um, his plays this year. But um, I think, you know, obviously me being a little bit more experienced at the position and um, aware of the defense and, you know, just studying, you know, the plays and defenses in general will allow us to take more advantage of the field vertically. Columbiano Dor asked a question about ball security. We had talked about that last week. He says it seemed like that mission was accomplished in scrimmage two. What are your goals offensively for scrimmage three? Yeah, I mean, obviously the goal is to always have, you know, perfect ball protection. Uh, no, no amount of turnovers, you know, in my position is acceptable. Uh, any interception, fumble, um, even sacks, I, you know, take full responsibility for and almost personally, you know, it's, um, it's something that 
obviously we've talked about before, it's a big emphasis for me. And I want to make sure I'm doing my part and my one eleventh for the team that I'm protecting that ball because without that ball, we're not playing the game. So it's, uh, it, it's very important to me to make sure that I'm doing that. But um, I think obviously, you know, in scrimmage two, I didn't have any interceptions. Uh, I don't, I don't think I put the ball in danger in any places. Um, I definitely think there's room to be more accurate too and uh, more room to make some better decisions. I wish I'd had a couple throws back, you know, maybe had put it in a different spot to a different receiver, you know. So it's um it's a it's a continual process and no quarterback ever reaches the summit of perfect ball security and always hitting the right receiver and making the right throw. But, you know, obviously as yeah, I don't like to call myself a perfectionist, but, you know, as badly as I want to get it right, I think, you know, approaching perfect ball security as close as I can is always going to be the goal. And I don't think I'll ever get there, but, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm evolving. So. VA72 says, explain pre, uh, excuse me, explain typical pre-snap and post-snap reads you might have for a passing play and for a running play. Interesting. Okay. So pre-snap, you know, we, we talk about, you know, my shell to edge, but the first thing I do whenever I get up to the line is I look how many uh, defensive linemen are down. Typically, you know, it'll be, you know, three or four down. Sometimes they'll give you a five down. We call it a jam front. Uh, when they have five D linemen, sometimes they'll give you, you know, three double mug where it's two linebackers, you know, playing on the line instead of, you know, two, two more defensive linemen. So first thing I do is I check if it's, you know, three down or four down. And then next, I need to make the ID for the offense. So if it's a pass play or a run play, you know, make the point, you know, whether depending on the play, I'll make one or two points. Um, and then I look, you know, shell to edge. I'm looking at the coverage um, and I'm seeing where guys are lined up at on the field. Do I think, you know, it's going to be cover four. Does it look like they're playing quarter, quarter, half, you know, are they playing cover two to the right and cover man or playing man to the boundary, you know, something like that. So it's, um, that there's there's a shell to edge and then after shell to edge you check and make sure everyone's aligned we've got you know everyone's on the line that needs to be on the line no one's covered up we got only four guys in the backfield um everyone's set for a count and then after that that then you start your um your in in the play processes so whether that's reading you know the defense or seeing if they roll to cover three if they look like they're playing quarters yeah uh, and then post snap, I guess as soon as the play's over, just immediately getting bias to the sideline and seeing if we need to go tempo, if you know we're running a different play or you know, obviously a tempo play, or if I need to get guys huddled up, you know what we're doing, just making sure that you know if we need to operate fast and with tempo, that bias are on the sidelines, so I'm ready to get the guys going. So it's um it's my pre snap process is something that I'm currently working on making a habit for me. Um, and I've tried to focus a lot on because, like I've said, you know, sometimes I get in the habit of not really taking my time to judge the defense and see where guys are at. And I'm just trying to figure it out after the ball is snapped. So that's something that I'm taking out of my game, um, you know, working on it in the film room, visualizing it. Um, and even right before I go to bed, just shut it, shut it, you know, just things like that, making sure I have those processes ingrained in my head. But I thought I like that question. It's a good question. All right, I'm going to throw one at you that I came up with uh, just on the spot here, hearing you talk through this. Here's the situation, okay? You're down four points. There's like 11, 12 seconds to play, and you guys have just run the ball to the 10-yard line or, or thrown a pass. The play's ending, and you know you're watching the – you know, the, the referee scramble to spot the ball. Everybody did untuck from the pile. There's 10 seconds left. You have no timeouts. You know that, like, by the time everything gets said and done, you're going to be lucky to get off the final snap with, with two or three seconds left. So mm -hmm. do you have time to go through all those things or knowing that you've just got to get the snap off? Where, where do you take your shortcuts in that spot? <laughs> Yeah, great, so, great question. Aren't you? Aren't you so glad I asked that one? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's good, and I think you know. Obviously, there's exceptions for the entire pre-snap process, but I mean, always, always, you have you know, if it's a tempo play, we don't have time to make you know the IDs. Uh, the lines going to the spot that they're supposed to go, and uh, they know where they're supposed to go. If it's like a, you know a zone play or a pass play, they know the man side and the zone side. So 
I don't have to make a point in that. You know, a lot of times, I guess, you know, in a specific situation like this, if you're on the 10-yard line, you're probably going to get some sort of man look, whether it's cover one or if, you know, it's aggressive defense, they might play cover zero or zero double backer, and they'll drop two guys in the zone and just watch your eyes so they could bracket the slots or something like that. So I guess seeing the, the mannerisms of the defense, seeing if, you know, they are, truly are man-to-man, if they're about to bring zero, I know i got to get it out fast. If they're in cover one, I know I just got to throw away from their safety. If they're playing zero double bracket and they're bracketing the slots, I know I probably want to go outside. You know, different things like that. Uh, especially if it's the last play, we got to go for the end zone. Uh, I'm finding my best matchup. Uh, looking for, you know, obviously the weakest link in the defense that I feel like that we can attack and go to the guy who I think is going to make us a play. So <laughs> I, I think, you know, shell to edge definitely absolutely applies it. You know, looking at the defense and making sure I'm seeing everything still, but you know, as far as an entire process goes, I'm not sure <laughs> it's so detailed. VA72 says an RPO and a play-action pass can look similar to a fan. How can we tell the difference? Uh, the goal is that you can't. So, I, I, well, I, I guess I'll say this. At the beginning of the play, it should look the exact same. You should know whether it's an RPO or a pass. Um, what you need to look at is the line. If it's a play-action pass, then the line isn't allowed to go downfield at all because it could be going vertically down the field. You know, that's the whole thing of a play as a pass. We want to suck everyone up and then hit them vertically. If it's an RPO, the line is never told whether it's a run or a pass. They Every time they say, okay, the run is zone right, I'm blocking zone right. They don't know if, you know, I'm running a backside slant or a hitch or whatever off of it, you know, whatever RPO you call so the line is going downfield, trying to get to the second and second level or to the safety if they can. So, you know, if it's a quick ride, flash, shoot, you know, I got you got to get out quick with an RPO because if the line gets downfield, it's a flag. Um, then that's what you want to look for. If you're, you know, if the play action pass, you know, look at the line and if they're, you know, they might be running to the right or you know, giving the the illusion of zone, but they're not getting, you know any farther than two or three yards down the field. So that, uh, and, you know, just thinking about that, you know, <laughs> that's a, it's a good way to think about it, I guess. I never thought about looking for the difference in those. Columbiano Door says, uh, compare Joey Lynch's quarterback philosophy to the your previous quarterback coach. Um, interesting. Uh, I think Coach Lynch is very competitive. I think he has a lot of juice and energy that he brings to coaching the quarterback position. And it's something that uh, I hadn't been exposed to in the past. My, uh, even my uh, offensive coordinator quarterback coach in high school and, you know, coach Fitch last year, they were very kind of like chill guys that, you know, were kind of like, you know, all right, how'd it go? What'd you see? Are you good? All right, let's go. Let's just keep playing. You know, that kind of like, you know, let you play ball kind of deal. Coach Lynch is very, very competitive. And, you know, a lot like how I am is, you know, he wants to win. And so he brings a lot of energy, you know, to a position that quarterback where a lot of times, you know, quarterback coaches are very kind of just, all right, you're the quarterback. We understand you can't put rules at, you know, a position as complex as, you know, the one that I'm playing. So just play the game how you know how to play it, you know, and we'll talk about your decisions and how you can make them better. But, you know, Coach Lynch is very, you know, detailed and all right, this is like how you can win and this is how we're going to win and move the ball down the field to win. So it's um it's it's a, especially in the meetings too, it's a lot more noticeable how much more uh, juice he brings to playing the game. And um I think, you know, as a competitor and as a quarterback it's made me a lot better. So it's uh it's definitely interesting to see the different styles and I think I'm learning a lot from it. VA72 says, offensive play calling can range from one-word calls to many-word calls or even gestures and hand signals. How does this offense handle play calling when running tempo? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's obviously we're going to be using hand signals, so it'll, um, it'll be signaled from the sideline. Um, we'll get you know a tempo signal, and we're going to have to hurry it up, and then we'll get the play on. And um, it's my job to make sure everyone's set. Uh, and then we're running the play. And if it's a play where we're trying to run it as fast as possible, then, you know, it's like, all right, as soon as you're set, you know, I'm counting to one and I'm snapping it. So uh, there's different, you know, tempo plays. We might line up fast, 
see what the defense is in, you know, and if I don't like it, you know, see, you know, if we want to do something else, you know, so it's um, without getting too into the details of how we're about to run our offense next season, I feel like that's a good way to put it. Jor on the Plains asks, since D1 and especially Power 5 recruits are often by far the best players on their high school teams, when was the last time you actually experienced a position battle before going to Vanderbilt? And connected to that, what is it like when the first guy off the bench to celebrate TDs with you seems like, based on last season, to be the guy you're competing with? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd say, obviously... There's quarterback competition at every level. I don't know, like, I say, you know, my, you know, later years in high school, like junior and senior year, I wasn't competing for a job. I don't even think I had a backup junior or senior year. Like, I was the one and only quarterback on the depth chart. So, um, but other than that, I think, uh, like, sixth grade, I had to fight for the starting spot. Um, middle school, not really, I guess. Seventh and eighth grade, I wasn't fighting for the study job. My freshman year, though, I was battling against a junior, and uh, ended up winning. And you know, we split time early on in the season, but I ended up starting every game. Um, and then, you know, obviously taking that you know mode of competition to you know this level in college. Um, me and you know my competition, we have a really good relationship, and. Um, you know, I think we're both making each other a lot better right now. And um, it's obviously a competition, so we're going to see, you know, how it ends up. But, you know, I think we both support each other. And I know he's been really helpful for me and, um, you know, been a great teammate to me too. You know, whether, you know, it's him celebrating or me celebrating or we're celebrating each other. Like, you know, it's we're in the film room at the end of the day telling each other, like, hey, good throw, you know, whatever on either place. So it's – um. I don't think it's it's weird to compete for the job. Um, I've, you know, honestly been thankful for it. I think you know, anytime that you can have some competition to make you better, uh, you should embrace it. And I think both of us have, and we're both getting a lot better from it. Diehard VU fan asks: Last year, what was the toughest defense to go up against, and why was a particular was a particular player, or excuse me, was there a particular player? Who stood out to you that disrupted plays a lot? Yeah, um, I, I, honestly, I feel like the the game we struggled the most offensively and was the most frustrating was Missouri. I think the entire time they got down in their five man front and played cover one or cover three, or you know whatever form of one high coverage that they wanted to do, and they just kind of locked us up at receiver and. You know, whether they were bringing five and, you know, we had to block every lineman man for man. You know, we couldn't really slide any protections because they're always bringing five. So everyone was kind of on their own. So every lineman, you know, if they were struggling or they got beat, like there was no one helping them. So I think that made it hard for the line. And um, that the Missouri game was probably the most frustrating for me to play against. I think uh, that was a, a good team. I think they're coached really well, you know, and. You know, Coach Drinkwitz obviously got a lot of credit for how well they played this last season. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know if that's the best team we played. But, obviously, you know, judging by the numbers that we put up that game, that was, you know, the the game that we struggled the most. Um, and I'd say I can't remember his name, but their middle linebacker, I actually watched him get drafted uh, in the second round. Um, I, I wish Nick I Bolton, I think. Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. He, um, he was, I didn't know at the time how good of a player he was. I kind of figured that out um, after getting on the field, which is the worst time that you want to figure something like that out. But um, slowly as the game went on, I was like, wow, this dude is absolutely flying around the field. And uh, I didn't know until he got drafted. I was literally sitting there trying to watch Dio uh, get drafted. And um, I heard them call his name and they showed highlights of, you know, him going against us. And I was like, wow, like I knew that guy was good, but dang, that's kind of cool to think about. He just got drafted in the second round. So uh, I, I, I specifically, I remember that uh, instance with him. So um, that's what I'd say uh, <laughs> the defensively disrupted us. 
I want to ask you about two guys you went up against last year. One I guess you could technically see again at some point. J.C. Horn, first-round pick for South Carolina at corner, and Derek Stingley at LSU, who's been you know probably the best cornerback in the game going into this year, has been All-America two years in a row. What do you remember about playing against those two guys? Yeah, um, it's interesting because I remember everyone started talking about J.C. Horn, and I I don't know. I, you know, like I said, I didn't get in the film room as much as I wanted to last year, so I didn't re- even really know guys' names on the other side of the ball, and so I didn't know who he was when we played him, and I guess, you know, playing the game, I didn't feel like there was any, you know, <laughs> difference in which side of the field I was thrown to. Um, I I know that there was a, a couple of passes I completed on him after I found out. I was like, oh, shoot, like, J.C. Horn was a pretty good player that I got to play, so... Um, I know that, you know, I think we did well, um, that, or I did well or whatever. Um, but it, that was, that, that one kind of interested me whenever I found out, uh, he was as good as he was. And, um, I didn't really know at the time whenever I played him. And then obviously, you know, Derek Stingley, uh, getting ready to play him, uh, coach fish before the games, like, look, like you're a young guy. So I don't want to like freak you out or anything, but just understand this guy that they have their corner has better ball skills than most of the receivers. So just be aware whenever you're throwing to his side, if you really like that matchup, and if you really want to go there. And I was like, okay, like this is my second game ever. Like if you're telling me this dude's like the second coming, then I'm not going to throw to that side of the field. So I am, um, I, I very much, uh, avoided him whenever I was in the game, and uh, I ended up getting picked by the the freshman OIS Ricks uh, on the other side. So who knows if it would have worked out for me to go uh, to go at him a little bit? I know I actually watched the film that there's a couple times that I should have, and Coach Fitch even you know told me afterwards he's like you know maybe I overcoached you there, but um uh, I, I definitely was aware of him. <laughs> that game and it was really cool because I've always heard a lot about him as a player and knew he was really good already so um seeing him on the field was obviously like kind of kind of cool kind of you know unreal for me but um yeah I, I definitely the quarterback was aware of where he was on the field at all times yeah and Ricks is showing up on some all-american lists this year too so no easy way about it either side <laughs> of the field you went to yeah, yeah. And then I know he was really highly recruited in high school, too. But um, I guess, you know, that night I felt like I could go to his side. But, you know, maybe he had something to say about it now. We'll see. <laughs> you also played Jameen Davis at um, at Kentucky, a linebacker for them. I don't know if you remember that one or not. Mm-mm, no. It was a first-rounder. <laughs> yeah, wow. Ignorance may be bliss, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, you know, you never, like, I, I ran the ball a couple times against Kentucky, too, so thank goodness I didn't know that a first-round linebacker was standing on the other side of the line of scrimmage, so I might have ran it a little differently. But I think even that goes to show you, like, you know, these guys are really good, but, like, having confidence in myself and the guys around me, like, we're really good, too. Like, the NFL is such – I don't want to say a small step away, but it's right there. Like, I'm playing guys that are good enough to play at that level. So it's not like, you know, the NFL is, you know, like it was whenever I was, you know, a little kid. Like, it's some, like, way off place. Like, hopefully I'm playing there soon in the next couple of years, you know? It's like, that's the level that I know that I can get myself to and I can play at. And I'm playing guys that are playing at that level right now. So just have the confidence. Like, look, like, you're going to play NFL dudes. Like, so what? That's That's what you want to go do, right? So go act like you know how to do it. So... That's uh, it, and you know, after looking at last season, then I didn't even know about that guy from Kentucky. I, I knew that they had um, a couple guys on that defense that ended up getting drafted. I think um, one of the defensive linemen too. Uh, I'm not sure, um, but I think uh, you know, obviously looking back at last season and how it went, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm just like, you know, you can you can do this, like you can play at this level. Like don't don't psych yourself out on things. Oh, so be aware of your matchups. Obviously, like Derek Stingley versus, you know, a freshman corner that's playing the second game just like I was. Obviously, he's turning out to be really good. But, you know, just be aware of that. But don't don't overthink it, you know. So I think that's a, a big thing for me. 
Murray Harris asks, what other college quarterbacks are you good friends with and stay in touch with? Murray. Yeah, I like that guy. Um, uh, other quarterbacks, um, I don't know how many I stay in touch with. <laughs> Whenever I was in high school, I was very competitive as a quarterback. And uh, guys that, you know, played the same position as me and at camps and stuff, I didn't really, um, I guess, get along with too much. I will say um, I met Brady Cook. He's the uh, one of the quarterbacks at Missouri. I met him at a camp, and me and him really got along well. Um, Garrett Nussmeyer from uh, – LSU, we, we both went to a lot of camps together. We, we're both from the same area. Ethan Barr, my roommate, actually uh, played high school football with him at Flyermount. So he, um, he, there's a connection there. But uh, me and him always got along at camps. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't say there's guys that I really stay in touch with. But whenever I think of friends that I made along the, the camp tour, those two guys come to mind. This will be the last one. This is from Door King. Uh, since a lot of us posters graduated, Vanderbilt has rebuilt most of the dorms. Are there any dorms the football players prefer to live in, or are they all spread out? Um, I'll say football players like to live off campus. I think, uh, you know, as hard as it is to get an off-campus pass, I think most of us like to, uh, to get off whenever we can. I know uh, whenever me and my roommates decided to uh, live – wherever we went over the next season, we wanted to stay in Morgan Lewis. So it, it's just the closest to McGugan. Um, and honestly, like the easiest, um, honestly, hey, hold on. Bradley Ashmore, our right tackle. Bradley. I like this already. Come out here. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like putting your roommate on the spot. <laughs> I know. Here he is. Hold on. Let me get you on speaker so he can hear us. <laughs> okay. Bradley, introduce yourself. How y'all doing? I'm Bradley Ashmore, uh, Ken's roommate, and I play offensive <laughs> line at Vanderbilt. So, where would you like to say football players like to stay in when residing on campus at Vanderbilt? On campus at Vanderbilt? Uh, I'd say a lot of us stay here at Highland, but it's really all over. We got some dudes in Branscombe and a couple in Village and obviously the Fresh Burner Commons, but... My favorite's Highland, so because we got the kitchens to cook a lot of food. What's your favorite food to eat at Hendrix? <sighs> Gotta be breakfast potatoes. Breakfast potatoes? Breakfast potatoes and, and omelets. <laughs> okay, omelets is fine. I don't know about breakfast potatoes. <laughs> Are we you putting Ethan on the spot? What's that? Are we putting Ethan on the spot? Does Ethan want to come out here? Get Ethan. <laughs> Ethan Barr, middle linebacker. Ethan! Get out here. You may not have roommates after this semester. <laughs> Ethan, how's Hello. it going? How doing? <laughs> Introduce yourself to the people. Hey, my name's Ethan. I'm linebacker. I'm, yeah. I'm going to be a sophomore this year. <laughs> Let's go. How are you feeling about this upcoming season? I'm excited. Uh, there's a lot of energy, a lot of like energy behind the program the team and everyone's coming together and it's going to be a really exciting season so i'm ready do you enjoy having farmer stands on your arms and ankles oh yeah it's the best part <laughs> it's the best part of fall camp and summer in general so yeah <laughs> we all love it it's it's been a huge plus to the experience of playing football i know the receivers got tan lines on their uh, gloves on their hands so it's a uh, it's been a struggle right now i'm looking at bradley's right now they're just as bad so us white boys, you know, we get we get red fast. <laughs> Ethan, what do we need to know about Ken Seals as a roommate? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, Ken's very particular in where things are placed. He's very neat. Okay. Very tidy. Great, great roommate, I would say. <laughs> Let's go. I like that. No problems yet. D does Bradley have anything to add here? <laughs> what? D do you have anything to add to that, Bradley? Bradley, as a yeah. roommate, how am I? He may not have heard the question. As a roommate, Ken is Ken is Ken. Ken is di <laughs> Ken, Ken's different. He's a cool guy. He's he's uh likes a lot more stuff than just football. You gotta get to know him. <laughs> Who's the first one to wake up every morning? Bradley. Definitely me. Yes. Oh really? Yeah. He uh he you know is he's weird. As soon as his alarm goes off, he gets up out of bed. So that's that's been the strangest thing. I like to lay there for fifteen minutes. So. <laughs> Now, are you guys play pranks on each other, guys, or do you, do you have enough going on to, to not even want to go there? 
We haven't lived with Ethan long enough to play any pranks on him yet, but I play I play some pranks on Ken sometimes. Negative. He'll be in the shower listening to some music, singing along, you know, how he does. What? I'll, 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 I'll come in and knock on the door like the FBI, and he goes, <laughs> Negative, I'm not singing in the shower. I think Ethan's had, a, Ethan's had enough pranks with his last roommates, so he's ready for something a little more low-key. His, his last roommates are wild. If Ken sang in the shower, what would Ken sing? Oh my! <laughs> this is not happening right now. There's no answer to that question. He's regretting think... this right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no more questions for the roommates. They're cut off, guys. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys do need to get some sleep in any case, so I'll I'll let you off easy at that. How about that? <laughs> I really appreciate that. The shower questions. I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ken, uh, before we uh, before we leave tonight, I want to give you a chance to promote any social media accounts you've got. If your roommates want to do that, um, I know there'd be plenty of fans out there would like to follow them as well. So I'll leave it to you guys as we close the show tonight to give out where to follow you all on social media. Yeah, so you can find me at Ken underscore Seals 8 on Instagram. If you want to follow Ethan on Instagram, it's Ethan Barr with two R's underscore 32. And then if you're trying to follow my big boy Bradley, it's underscore Ashmore underscore on Instagram as well. Uh, I know for me on Twitter, you can follow me at Ken Seals QB. So hit us up, give us some shout outs. Uh, we, we all appreciate the love. So go find us. <laughs> All right. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate it. And we'll we'll catch uh, at least one of you next week. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrisleigh70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.